0: Hi, this is Kev Lex Walker, and you are about to hear a podcast of an interview that appeared on Shades of Blues here on The Cat, and there will be plenty more as we delve into the archives. Sit back and enjoy. I'm delighted to say I'm now joined all the way from America by Dave Spector. Dave, are you well? I am. Thanks for having me on your show. Not a problem. Now, you started out fairly well, I was going to say young, but for, for some people, it was a bit of a late start. You started to learn guitar at the age of 18, didn't you? Yes,
1: I picked it up late, but I, I grew up in a very musical family, so I think I, uh, I developed a pretty good ear um, starting out as a young kid and played, played classical piano and, and was surrounded by uh,
0: siblings with guitars and banjos and harmonicas and a mother who played classical
1: piano, so
0: so what was it that inspired you to pick up the guitar? Was it your siblings, or was it something that you heard? um a little of both you know
1: I was going away to college and um just started playing around with guitar for fun and and got interested in it and in just a very casual way and 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 started you know hanging out in my basement playing around, playing along with stones and almond brothers records and Just started to get into the blues and took my guitar down to college and met a bunch of musicians and artists and um, decided that that was something
0: I really wanted to pursue seriously. So you mentioned the Rolling Stones and the Allman Brothers there. Was that the kind of thing you were listening to then or was it more pop orientated?
1: No, I was, you know, I was raised by, I was, I was raised with an older brother and sister who were kind of like tail end hippie generation, you know, Grateful Dead, The Doors, uh, Woodstock, The Stones, The Beatles, The Allman Brothers. My older brother was a blues harmonica player, and he would come home and tell me stories about seeing Howlin' Wolf and Muddy Waters and Coco Taylor and the clubs in Chicago and would play me their records, and uh, I really liked it, so I, um... I never really listened. I mean, the Beatles were, of course, pop music, but I was always interested in more of, like, blues, blues rock.
0: You mentioned you were learning classical piano. Did you have ambitions to be a classical pianist?
1: No, I had ambitions to get away from the piano and go play basketball. <laughs> 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 yeah, no, I, um, I, I liked it, and I'm, I, I deeply regret not sticking with it because I love piano, and I totally forgot how to play. But no, I was just, my mother was a a, a great classical pianist, and she, you know, had all of her kids take lessons. It's just part of, you know, growing up in our family.
0: So when you started hanging around and playing with other people, how long was it before you formed your own band?
1: Well, I started, I moved back to Chicago in 80, 84, started working as a sideman in 85 for about four years and started my own band in 1989.
0: During that four years in Chicago, you were playing all over the place at all the clubs.
1: Yeah, I started out playing with, uh, Steve Freund, who was kind of my big brother slash mentor and took me under his wing and he started hiring me for gigs and, uh, And then I started playing with people like Big Time Sarah, Jimmy Johnson, Johnny Littlejohn. I got my first, uh, Sam Lay and Hubert Sumlin was one of the first big road gigs I got. I think I was about 23. And I went on a three-week tour in Sam Lay's band to Canada. And Hubert Sumlin was uh, the featured guest guitarist, and I was the second guitarist. Um, And then the the next major gig I got was playing with Sun Seals and that lasted for almost two
0: years in
1: eighty seven and eighty eight.
0: While uh, you were playing with them, obviously you're there to do a job. But were you yeah. keeping an eye on them and learning from them?
1: Absolutely. Oh yeah. It was it was it was like going back to school. You know, it was going to blues school in real life and learning while you earn and um You know, it was a great experience. It was a great experience being a rhythm guitar player really first. And I I tell my students I teach and I, I you know, I talk to younger musicians and I try to stress to them the importance of becoming a good rhythm guitar player and trying to be trying to play behind a good lead guitar player. So I learned a lot from doing
0: that. I assume that some of these people offered words of wisdom. What's the one that stuck with you the most? Um, the most
1: important advice and wisdom I got from, um, you know, my mentors, the older blues men was three words, take your time. Mm. And I think that's, that's so important because so many, so many blues musicians on today's scene tend to overplay. And I think the beauty and the power of the blues, um, often is to be found in the space between the notes um and i I just appreciate a bit of a more subtle but still intense style of music and style of blues and you know if you just listen to the classics if you listen to bb and muddy and and early buddy guy and magic sam you hear that you don't hear you don't hear uh you know guitarists that are trying to quote unquote shred
0: Mm. you know We've said on this show many a time that B.B. Uh, King could say so much with just one note. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, the blues, to
1: me, one of the keys to the blues is, its, is its, uh, its simplicity in a positive way. You know, I think that that kind of helps retain some of the purity and the soul of the music. When it's
0: overdone, it's just it's too much, in mm. my opinion. I know there is a sort of opinion growing popularity at the moment that the blues is losing its identity because too many people are turning it into rock. Would you agree with that? Well,
1: yes, I would. I'd I'd kind of uh, expand on that a bit, and and that you know, I remember reading an interview with John Lee Hooker, maybe back in the eighties. And uh, he just said, there are too many blues guitar players. There are too many blues bands. A lot of people do it. I mean, it's actually very easy to play, but it's not very easy to play well. It gets, the the, the music gets watered down. Mm. And, um, you know, I mean, I like good blues rock. I mean, I was a a huge fan of the the Stones and John Mayle's Blues Breakers and Peter Green's Fleetwood Mac and, when it's done well, I love it, but it's often not done well and kind of sounds more like Foghat than, you know, than Holland Wolf. So there's also this this yearning all over the world to have the quote-unquote guitar hero, and that affects the blues scene where you see these screaming guitar players who take endless solos and play incredibly loud and it's very popular, and I think it always will be because of the, just the popularity of seeing the quote-unquote virtuoso guitarist, but I'd rather hear somebody that plays a lot less than a lot more.
0: On the subject of playing loud, where are you most comfortable, on a big stage or arena or a little backstreet club?
1: Mm, well, it's hard to choose. I mean, I, I don't really play large arenas. Sometimes I play large festivals, um, outdoors. You know, I play with a small group, usually a four-piece band, so I don't want the stage to be too big because I like us to be close together. Um, and I like playing at a, a healthy volume. I wouldn't say I'm a really loud guitarist. But yeah, you know, a good I'd say a good medium-sized club with a couple hundred people would be my ideal setting.
0: Yeah. And the band that you formed in 89, that was the Bluebirds. Were these people that you'd known, or was there an audition process?
1: Um, Yeah, there was a bit of an audition process. Um, And, you know, the key when I started my own band, because I wasn't a singer, was finding a good singer, finding a good front man or front woman. And that was always the case, because I didn't start singing until about four years ago. So, um, but yeah, I did have to audition a drummer and a bass player. And I also hired, I was lucky to be able to hire kind of veteran seasoned players of the Chicago blues scene, like Bob Stroger and Robert Covington. And I remember actually hiring Willie Big Eye Smith, who played with Muddy Waters for almost 20 years. You know, that's the great thing about living in Chicago is that there's such a, there was, there still is, but it's not as good. There was just a huge amount of great musicians that just loved to play and mm. you know it was easy to hire um
0: really great talent when you had gigs well in recent days I've been chatting with Bob Stroger and Dave Weld and they all say the same kind of thing that go back 15 20 years and the scene was totally different in Chicago
1: yeah it was it was it's it's not even close to what it was um I mean it's still good but it's you know, it's it's hard to find uh it's hard to find great bands every night where in the eighties and nineties, you know, you could hear Sunnyland Slim, Pine Top Perkins, Otis Otis Rush, Junior Wells, Buddy Guy, Lonnie Brooks, Sun Seals, um Robert Junior Lockwood, Lewis Myers, on and on and on and on every night, you know, to find somebody else of that level playing in the clubs. Mm. And unfortunately
0: just about everyone's gone. Yeah. Over your time, you've had numerous accolades thrown at you, and one that caught my eye was your handwritten song lyrics are on display in the Woody Guthrie's Centre for Songs of Conscience, Sounds of Freedom exhibition in Tulsa.
1: Yeah, that was um, quite an honour. It was a, uh, an exhibit that's been moving around the country about the history of protest music. And uh, the exhibit most recently was in the Gram- it was moved from the, the Woody Guthrie Center in Tulsa to the Grammy Museum in Los Angeles. And I wrote a song after the uh, George Floyd murder. Um, I wrote a song called "The Ballad of George Floyd," and recorded it with Billy Branch. And um, the, uh, the Woody Guthrie Center uh, heard it and, and wanted me to submit the handwritten lyrics to the song for their exhibit.
0: And, um, yeah, it was, you know, an honor. Yeah. Well, you've also played for the President of the United States, the Governor of Illinois, and the Mayor of Chicago. Um, yeah, most, most of them should have been fired, but it was still cool. <laughs> 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 but you're also um, a broadcaster yourself. You do a monthly podcast, don't you? Blues from the Inside Out.
1: Correct, yeah. It's not, not always monthly. Um, I have uh, I have about thirty two podcasts online, um, and it's kind of unique, you know. Musicians talking to musicians, and I've interviewed everyone from uh, Shamika Copeland to Jimmy Vaughn to John Mayall to John Schofield, You know, not all blues. Um, I interviewed the great New Orleans trumpet player Kermit Ruffins. He was my first interview. Um, yeah, I enjoy. I enjoy just you know just having a a kind of a friendly chat like this and 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 talking to musicians about you know their influences and and their inspirations so um yeah that's been going well my i'm actually my last interview that's
0: up online is with bob stroger right because of that you've been described as a global ambassador of chicago blues do you see yourself Uh, as that and if so do you feel that's a weight on your shoulders
1: yeah, I mean that's something one of the Chicago newspapers wrote. I mean, I think I'm a I'm a champion for the music. I like promoting it. I love playing it. I love talking about it. I love supporting it in any way I can. I also I'm part owner of a club just outside of Chicago called Space in Evanston and uh we've been booking blues, jazz, Um, new orleans funk roots music everything singer songwriters folk music but a lot of blues and i'm i'm responsible for a lot of our blues bookings we've been open since 2008 um you know i love i love promoting artists on my podcast and i love bringing you know over the years i've toured europe many times brought special guests from chicago turned uh, european audiences on to people that they maybe not be familiar with so yeah i mean I, I like doing that it's just that's what i do it's my passion and it's what i love
0: doing one thing i try to do on this show is show how international the blues is there's blues scenes in virtually every country and i've spoken to people from nepal and turkey and czech republic and all over the place do you reach out to people in other countries as well um for my podcast mm. Uh, no, I haven't really done that
1: for my podcast. Johnny Bergen's uh, doing that. He has. Uh, he he lived in Chicago for many years, and I think he's living on the East Coast now. But he has a. I forgot the name of the podcast, but it's almost strictly him interviewing international blues musicians from all corners of the globe.
0: Yeah, um, he, I he set up a a sort of society. Uh, no Limit Blues or something like that, I think.
1: Yeah, I think no border, no border Blues. That's it, yeah. yes. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I generally, t- I, my, my specialty is, is interviewing musicians that, I'm, that I know, because then it kind of sounds more like a, a conversation between friends or artists that I'm just really familiar with their work. And I'm honestly not super familiar with a lot of the international artists. I know some of them, but not, not too many.
0: Right. And you were saying that it was about four years ago that you started doing vocals. Mm-hmm. What brought that about? Did somebody suggest it, or was it necessity?
1: Um, yes and yes. Um, I, I always thought about singing. I always heard suggestions and encouragement from, from fans, from, from colleagues. Dave, you gotta sing. You gotta start singing. I never, I never felt it was me. I was totally content using the guitar as my musical voice. And um, actually, um, <laughs> one of the strange inspirations that started me singing was that I wrote a song about Donald Trump called "How Low Can One Man Go." Mm-hmm. I was just completely appalled at his rise to power in America, and I've always been kind of politically aware, and uh, I never really wrote about it, but I wrote a song about him, and I had my keyboard player, John Katke, over, and he was doing a lot of the vocals in my band, and I kind of just, we were sitting in my living room, and I played it for him, and just kind of like, you know, ad-libbed the words, almost rapped the words, thinking that he would sing it, and he said, Dave, you should sing that, and I thought to myself, yeah, maybe I should, and I did, and that was the you know, that's on the Blues from the Inside Out album in 2019. And that was the first album I sang three songs on. And uh, What was it I've like been, that
0: first time stepping up to the mic then?
1: I was pretty, I was nervous, you know, and I don't really get nervous. I've been playing live for, you know, 30, 37 years or so. But yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's like playing a new instrument. It is a new instrument. For me, it was. Mm. Um, and I, you know, I, I, got, I got some coaching, and I'm still developing and still learning you know, the ins and outs of, of blues vocals, and I've developed a repertoire of maybe 15 or 20 songs now. But yeah, it, was, it, it still sometimes is challenging. And, uh, but that's okay. I think it should be. It keeps you on your toes.
0: Well, we were saying about the accolades that have come your way over the years, but it was about that time that you were inducted into the Chicago Blues Hall of Fame as well. That must be a massive honour.
1: Yeah, it is. It is. It's not, it's not the, the National Blues Hall of Fame, which, in my opinion, is the real deal, the one that, that they hold down in Memphis. The Chicago Blues Hall of Fame is a bit more casual, and they induct a lot of people, um, and I'm, I'm, I'm honoured to be in it, definitely.
0: Well, your time in Memphis will come, I'm sure.
1: Oh, I hope so. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. maybe so, when I'm, you know, maybe in another ten or twenty years.
0: Oh, no, 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 no. Uh, so, what are the plans for now and for the future? Mm-hmm.
1: Well, I'm. Uh, excuse me. Just had a sip of water. I'm just. I'm excited that uh, Delmark put out a a two uh, double album retrospective of my 30 years of recording on the label, and we're currently awaiting the. Uh, The release of the of the album on vinyl and we're having a vinyl release party next week in chicago so i'm excited about that and i've been writing new material um i'm not sure when i'll do another recording i'm thinking probably next year um and uh yeah i'm just you know out there hustling trying to uh trying to stay busy in chicago and trying to travel a bit i played in uh France and Belgium, back in uh, late April, early May, I believe, and going to Italy next month. And uh, you know, hope to just be playing for more people as much I can, as much as
0: I can. Yeah, now that restrictions are easing, obviously getting about is a lot easier. But the the logistics of putting it all together—do you do all that yourself, or is there somebody else that does that?
1: Um, I do some of it myself, and sometimes I work with promoters. Um, sometimes overseas, sometimes uh, national here in the states. Sometimes I'll, I'll have bands in Europe, for example, that'll bring me over as a guest. So, if there are any good bands out there in the UK, listening, uh, keep me in mind if you need a <laughs> if you need a guest a guest from Chicago. I'd love to come back to the UK. I like it there very much.
0: Well, hopefully, we will get to see you over here very soon and uh, thank you for taking the time out to do this
1: oh my pleasure uh good talking to you Kev, and you
0: and i hope you enjoyed that little interview there and there will be more as we record more for the show and we are going to delve into the archives and pull some of the old ones out as well so plenty more to come and of course if you want to hear the whole show there is always listen again i'll see you next time take care